All right, so you know we did a survey for our podcast listeners at the end of 2016, and I was shocked because we asked the question, have you completed our course, The 5-Minute Marketing Makeover? And 50% of you had not done it yet. I mean, this is a free resource. All you have to do is enter your email address, and you can watch three five-minute videos where I really will help you revolutionize your marketing. 50% of you still haven't done it. Because I believe so strongly that you're going to get massive value from this course, I want to just give you a sneak peek. Before we get to our interview with Shalene Johnson, I want you to listen to a little bit of the 5-Minute Marketing Makeover. My hope is that this little segment gives you insight that will get you off your bum. If you want to have a successful business in 2017, we need to start with a clear message. The course at 5MinuteMarketingMakeover.com is a perfect place to start. And again, it's free. You have nothing to lose. Give me 15 minutes, and I promise you won't regret it. One of the first things I talk about in the 5-Minute Marketing Makeover is something called the curse of knowledge. This phrase is coined in a book called The Art of Explanation by Lee Lefevre, and basically here's how it works. You know so much about your products and service, you're kind of at level 10 on a scale of 1 to 10. I mean, you know a lot about it. The problem is most people don't know what you know, and so you've got to simplify your understanding of your products in order to explain to them why they would need what you have. And so we tend to simplify, I don't know, maybe down to like level 6 or level 5. We really think we're putting the cookies on a lower shelf. The problem is customers buy between levels one and two. In other words, you're not simplifying it enough. We're talking over people's heads, and they're not buying our products and service. We use this phrase at our story brand workshops. We call it the squirrel brain. And we say basically when customers are reading our websites or listening to our elevator pitch, they're thinking with a squirrel brain. They're thinking in a very primitive kind of way. They're basically thinking, is this really going to help me survive and thrive? Is this going to help me be more sexy? Is this going to help me have more money? Is this going to help me reduce the hassles in my life? They're not thinking about whether or not our grandfather started the company. We have to speak in a very primitive language if we want to invite people into what we're doing. That's just one of the concepts I talk about in the five-minute marketing makeover, and there are plenty more. I'm telling you, it's not just a free resource. It really will revolutionize your marketing. If you're one of the 50% of our podcast listeners who has not gone to 5MinuteMarketingMakeover.com, I want you to go there right now. Go to 5MinuteMarketingMakeover.com, enter your email address, and watch the three five-minute videos in which I share principles that will revolutionize your marketing. 5MinuteMarketingMakeover.com Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, JJ Peterson. Hi, JJ. Hi, Don. How are you? Fantastic. How are you? I'm terrific. I've gotten uh, some sleep. I'm pacing myself a little better. Wow. <laughs> a new year and a new you. Well, I didn't do the New Year's resolutions this year, so I'm not facing that like January 30th <laughs> guilt and you're a loser and <laughs> guilt, you can't do shame, it. shame, yeah. I stopped doing resolutions a long time ago because mm-hmm. I'm convinced that they just basically, it's like the how long can you hold your breath yeah. kind of thing. You know, if you yeah. go 30 seconds, you're like, well, my buddy can do 40. <laughs> <laughs> but yep. I've got some healthier habits going, and Yay, it's really good. good. And one of them is I'm going to get more sleep, and I'm only going to bite off what I can actually chew at a given time. Wow. Because you and I talked about this. Yeah. 
And we hit some points in yeah, 2016. At the end of the year in particular. In particular. <laughs> <laughs> there was one stretch where I did three workshops back to back to back. And they were amazing and fun. I was in Chicago, flew back to Nashville for less than I 12 remember. hours. You and flew then to flew our back Christmas to party. Yeah. <laughs> And then got on a plane the next day and flew yeah. back to Chicago. <laughs> yeah, it was, Thanks for I, coming to the Christmas party. Oh, it, well, it was very fun and worth it. But it was like that crazy, I was flying all over the place. And then literally the craziness of flying to Chicago, being there two days, flying back, flying back to Chicago 12 hours later. And then on that Sunday following that week, those two weeks of crazy, I crashed. I didn't take a yeah. shower. I didn't brush my teeth. I had pizza delivered. I just sat and watched <laughs> uh, mindless television and crazy. Christmas movies, basically. I had that same experience that week before, because that second flight to Chicago, the whole staff was on it. Yeah, yeah. We, we kind of did our Christmas yeah. party. And was up, I mean, at 2.45 a.m., I would wake up. <laughs> I know. And my mind <laughs> would start thinking about something, and 15 minutes later, I'm in the kitchen making a cup of coffee. And going. And going. And yeah. I would just go out to the writing shed and get to work. And yeah. honestly, it felt great. It wasn't like stuff I was stressed about. Yeah, it was, yeah. But things that needed to get done. Yeah. Then I flew to the Chicago staff uh-huh. party. The whole staff went to Chicago and stayed in a hotel and had dinner. And yeah. It's a short flight I from Nashville. I ate my way through Chicago. <laughs> Chicago, there's no question. But we were supposed to do brunch as a team on Saturday morning, and I got a call from yeah. some financial advisors who are consulting a little bit with the Trump administration. They're like, Don, we need help doing this. Of course, I'm going to show up at that. That yeah, just yeah. sounds like really fun. Went out and just five hours of economic policy. <laughs> got on that plane. Riveting. Yeah, Riveting. after weeks of like three in the morning yeah, yeah. being in the riding shed. And I went to bed that night at about 11.30 and woke up at 2 p.m. the following day, (laughs) laid on the couch and watched one football game and then went back to bed. And my wife, my lovely wife, is sort of flittering around the living room and wondering if her husband is going to be able to talk to her that day. So really, almost the same day you and I realized, unsustainable. Yeah, this is not going to work long term. (laughs) This is not going to work long term. Really fun. Yes. And I just want to be able to clone myself, but it's not going to work. Yeah. And... Ultimately, although I enjoyed every minute of yep. that, I yep. didn't enjoy sleeping till 2 p.m. and then feeling groggy. Yeah. 20 hours of sleep and then feeling groggy yeah. is not great. The reason I bring that up is I think a lot of our listeners probably, the New Year's resolutions are starting to not work or they're getting exhausted <laughs> or they're at mile 23 of a 26-mile marathon. What if there was a different take on how to make 2017 a great year? Yeah. And one of the things that we can do, and our guest on the podcast today talks about, is just saying, what do you want life to look like? It's a much bigger question than I'm going to give up simple carbs or whatever. Yeah. What do you want life to look like? What does life-work balance look like in your life? So Shalene Johnson is amazing. Yeah. We'll give her bio in just a minute. But one of the things she talks about in the interview that I love is this moment. She's super successful, Mm -hmm. lots of money, lots of essentially fame, and Mm -hmm. has made it. And Millions and millions of dollars, achieved her goals. And her husband comes to her, who's also her business partner running everything with her, and goes, so how long do we have to do this? (laughs) <laughs> like they, they, what everybody else is looking at as this huge success and they literally had to stop and go wait do we even want this is this what we want life to look like and they begin reevaluating everything she talks about it and she really gives some tips you know we talk about how most of our companies are sub 5 million but a number of our listeners are just getting started 
They're yeah. just getting started yeah. on how to get their business off the ground. They think they have an idea of what they want life to look like, but they actually have not taken the time to stop and go, what do I want out of this? If you are wired as a builder, the downside of being wired as a builder, and I think a lot of our listeners are wired as builders, mm-hmm. the downside of it is there's never enough. And I'm not talking yeah. about enough money or enough because we, yeah, yeah. we do great things with our money. Nothing is good enough. And yeah. this thing can always be bigger. And I'm willing to sacrifice my personal health, uh-huh. my relationships, and basically quality of life because that's something I'm going <laughs> yeah. to enjoy tomorrow. Yes. Yeah. Which never comes. Yeah. Because you're always building. You're always building. Yeah. And it's very hard for personalities like mine and yours and probably mm-hmm. a lot of our listeners to say, we have to schedule in quality of life. Yeah. We have to stop and schedule it in. Well, not even just schedule it in, start with it. Start with that in mind. The well, that's end phase of life. two. I'm just going to schedule it for now. <laughs> for now, yeah. Well, we have some work to do. We have some work in 2017. No, I mean, I think we keep each other accountable on this at the office. We really like yeah. try to work through this. What Shalene talks about is really saying, if you're in the beginning and getting things started, right now, stop and figure out what are you doing this for? What do you want life to look like at the end? It's not about numbers. And then numbers. head that direction. Yes. It's not about the numbers. It's not about the success. It's about what do you want life to look like? like and how does your success and numbers serve that? Well, Shalene has had a roundabout way of getting to this conclusion because she was a builder with all the problems yeah. that we <laughs> just talked about. She was a lifestyle and business expert, motivational speaker. She's the founder of Smart Life Movement and Huffington Post recognized Shalene as one of the top 50 female entrepreneurs to watch in 2017. She got her start hosting a bunch of fitness infomercials, uh-huh. right? Which is so <laughs> awesome. And she'll tell the story in the interview. Yeah. She actually wanted to film this fitness thing, but she couldn't find somebody to host it or uh-huh. be in it. So she just stepped in she front of the camera and did it in order to get the first one done. <laughs> and then everybody liked her so much, they kept going. Anyway, she sold 10 million DVDs. Crazy. 10 million DVDs. She's got like the Guinness Book, literally, the Guinness Book of World Records she's listed as being in the most fitness yeah. videos as a stand-in. Yeah, that <laughs> started awesome. as a stand-in. Oh, I love it. Anyway, Shalene and her husband, Brett, they're crazy about each other, have been married for more than 20 years. Together, they have built and sold several multi-million dollar lifestyle companies, but she's going to tell us a lot about how to do that. But I want to say the focus is not about how to get rich and crazy and yeah. be in the Guinness Book of World Records. She does talk about basically the five ways to scale up your business. She does, but, but I love that she starts in, with this foundation yep. of be careful with this. Yeah. This is crack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't end up homeless. Yeah, yeah. yeah, miserable because you wanted to build your business so fast. Yeah. You know, I didn't know Shalene before this interview. We got to know each other kind of during the interview, a little bit before and during the interview. Yeah. By the end of it, it just sort of went off into this two old friends talking yeah. about, you know, <laughs> memories of building something. And I really love Shalene. She's a friend of the company's now. I think we should just get right to it. If you are not wanting to do what you did last year and burn out and yet still keep growing your business, if you are wired as a builder and you are not going to intuitively take care of yourself, you're just going to go till you drop, this episode of the Building Story Brand Podcast is for you. Here's my interview with Shalene Johnson. Shalene Johnson, thanks for being on the Building a Story Brand Podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. I, there's nothing I can think of that I would rather do than share some of uh, my experiences with your listeners. Yeah, you've scaled up a ton of businesses. You know what you're doing. And you got started, part of your early start, and JJ and I talked about this in the introduction, was you've got the Guinness World Record for selling the most number of exercise videos. Do I have that right? You do. You have outsold Richard Simmons. 
Well, no, I, it's not about sales, and I don't know if I have. I have never actually looked at that. But the number of videos I've appeared in. Ah, that's okay. Gotcha. That's awesome. I think what's interesting about that, for me anyways, is the fact that I did not want to go on video. You know, an entrepreneur at heart, I had figured out that fitness instructors struggled to teach classes because, you know, the ones who were really good were like attorneys by day and they just did this Uh, for fun at night or they were, you know, they're busy professionals. So I wanted to create a workout that was kind of paint by number for them. But I didn't want to be in the video. It's like, I have no business being in a fitness video. But you were shorthanded. Um, so it was funny to me. Yeah, exactly. I was shorthanded one day. I ended up having to be in the video. And so it's funny to me now to think that I've actually have the Guinness Book of Isn't that the entrepreneurial journey? I mean, you just step in and you pick up the hammer and you do it yourself. And then you find out you're a carpenter all of a sudden. It is, yeah. That's fantastic. Well, that was a long time ago. And since then, you've scaled up a bunch of businesses and you and your husband have sold those. And Then you've helped a lot of other businesses scale their business up and sell those businesses. Most of our listeners, you know, they're involved in some kind of business. A lot of them are probably 70% of them are sub $5 million businesses, and they're looking to scale up. They're just looking to get bigger. And so I'm excited to talk to you because you really know the path of getting from where we are to where we want to be. How do we grow and get bigger? What are the pitfalls? What are the landmines? And you've been kind enough to break that down for us into five things that we need to remember if we're going to scale up our business. And so I want to dive right in because I know everybody is eager. What is it that we need to understand if we're going to scale this thing up, regardless of what we're talking about, whether we're selling eggs from chickens or whether we're selling ice cream or financial advice or whatever? What do we need to do? It's great because you're right. It really doesn't matter what it is you're doing or selling or passionate about. The method which you apply is really pretty much the same. I think, however, where my opinion um, or suggestion would differ from most is that I think the number one thing you have to do is decide what you want it to look like. You know, how, how big do you want it to be? And to really understand what's involved in that before you even move forward in doing that, because I'm a great example of somebody who scaled, my husband and I together, scaled our business to a point that we were you know, quote unquote, very successful looking at us, but not successful when it comes to happiness. Mm, Yeah. Like we had money in the bank and all these great things, but absolutely no ability to breathe. I've had some experiences running my business where you turn a corner, you know, you end up building this little revenue stream that looked like it had a lot of potential and now you've got customer service issues and you kind of wish you'd have given up that half million dollar opportunity to not have this pain. Is that the sort of thing you're talking about? Absolutely. I mean, for us, I think we just got so big that I shouldn't say so big. We, we, we kept getting more successful, more successful. And these things don't happen overnight. They happen gradually, kind of like weight gain where mm-hmm. you just you just don't even realize it's happening until one day you just look in the mirror and go, who is this person? And and for us, I remember feeling guilty that I wasn't happy. Like that was, I was just like, what an ungrateful person you are to have all these things and to be unhappy that you have to work hard. Like, this is what it is. This is what everybody does. Suck it up. This is what, you know, being an entrepreneur is all about. This is what successful people go through. So don't say anything. And I think my husband was kind of walking in those shoes too. And we mm. both just trudged forward until you know, there wasn't like this major car crash or someone had cancer. It was just one of those days where he looked at me and we've been married for almost 25 years. And he looked at me and just said, 
when is this going to be over? Mm. And I said, what over? What do you mean? And he said, like, when can we slow down? It's never going to change. It's never going to change. He just kind of walked away from me angry. And I just felt my stomach dropped. I felt like, how did this get here? Wait, you don't want to do this? I don't want to do this. Why are we here? You know, money isn't important to us. Our kids are what's important to us. So how do we undo this? Yeah. And that's why I think the first step for everyone is to ask yourself, what does it need to look like? No matter how big it scales, what is too much? And how many people are too many people to be responsible for? And yeah. how many hours are too many hours? Like you, you have to start with that. Otherwise, every one of your listeners is an exceptional goal getter. I mean, they know how to master and accomplish tasks. They know how to go after things. But we oftentimes go after things that don't lead us to a purpose-driven life, don't help us and allow us to feel like, and to be happy. So I think you have to decide those things before you start checking off your to-do list, because we know you're going to do it. Let's just figure out what it needs to look like in order for you to be happy. Yeah. And a lot of really driven people, they're driven. It's not like they're driven toward a purpose. They're just driven. Like that car is going to go no matter what. And so they're going to scale up to 5 million and they're going to be like, well, this is ridiculous. We can go to 10 and then they go to 10 and then they're at 25 and then they're at 50 and now they don't have a life. And it's because they're just driven. The, the Energizer Bunny doesn't stop. What did you guys do, you know, now that you start businesses and sell them off and help other people? You know, I understand you're, you're saying, what do you want the business to look like? What do you do to sort of put the end game in your clients' heads before they ever get mm -hmm. to the end game? So yeah. how do you plant a seed saying, when we get to this, you're going to step yeah. away, experience withdrawal, detox, shift gears. What sort of seeds do you plant to help people figure that out? That's a fantastic question. And it is the catalyst for what Brett and I do today. And it isn't a number. It is really recognizing and doing something that most of us aren't really good at. And that is recognizing feelings. Hmm. Like what makes us feel unhappy? What makes us feel overwhelmed? What makes us feel powerless? What makes us feel like we can't relax, can't breathe, can't daydream? We together when we're working with entrepreneurs is we ask them to start with this. Whereas most goal master, the way I learned it anyways, was, you know, you start with a number, figure how much you want to earn this year and make it a crazy number. And let's yeah, start with, yeah. you know, really big tangible goals that you can measure. And the thing about feelings is nobody can measure them, but you. Mm. And that requires just knowing what feels good and what doesn't feel good and recognizing that you have the right to live a life that feels good, that feels happy, that feels right for you. And I'm so thankful that I never put a number on mine because I would have assumed when, when this happened to my husband and I, when we were at that moment that we decided, okay, it doesn't matter if we have to move into cardboard boxes, we're done. We're going to sell these businesses. We're going to undo what we've done. And we're going to return to a life of simplicity and return to each other and you know, get more involved with our kids and less responsibilities. We both looked at each other and said, you know, we've had the money and it didn't make us any more happy. So money's not the issue. Let's just build it around happiness. And luckily we didn't put any numbers on that because today I can tell you we make far more than we did on that day. And our lives don't look anything like what they once did. I mean, I never took vacations. I couldn't go to a movie. I, I always work seven days a week. Mm. I slept like three or four hours a night. And I just assumed that if we were going to get any bigger, if we were going to scale, we would have to work harder and bring on more people. Yeah. And I was wrong. 
Hmm. So it is for me, I believe, you know, kind of a, a number one point two is to, you've got to start with recognizing what you don't want to feel, what doesn't feel right. And that should be your guideline, not a number, not a certain number of employees, because even with employees, I mean, you can have five just miserable people that you have to work with and it's too much, or you can have 10 that are just unbelievable and yeah. it doesn't feel like work. Yeah. Well, that's great advice for the success addicts who are <laughs> listening right now. And uh, I imagine there's quite a few of them listening to this podcast, but you're absolutely right to keep going and keep going and keep going until you run dry. Is I've got friends, uh, Shalene, who they live on airplanes and they say to me things like, yeah, but you know, when the kids are this age, I'm going to quit. And and I just say to myself, no, you're yeah. not. No, you're not. I mean, you, yeah, it's yeah. literally like a crack addict. I mean, literally, I'm sitting there yeah. going, you're, you're so addicted to this. It's already causing so much. And congrats on your success. But I think that's great. That's great advice. All right. What's the second thing? What's the? And I feel like we, you and I could probably talk for about four hours. I okay. hate to drive us forward. But what, what's the second thing we need to remember if we're going to scale up our business? And that is that it's easier to scale your business with customers who are already fans oh, than it is to go find new customers. And I think the number one mistake, so that's number two, is you've got to take care of the people who already believe and trust and like and know and are buying from you. Take care of them as opposed to getting all caught up in creating, you know, your next big thing or targeting new customers. I think that what has allowed us to enjoy greater success and earn more money and work less is by realizing that we didn't need to create things out of the blue and hope that people would want to buy them. Instead, I just started taking care of a group of people. And rather than throwing something up against the wall, I started realizing like these people are on a journey very similar to mine. And I've got to go way, way, way back to what I needed when I first started, mm. as opposed to giving them the, here's what I know now, because they're not ready for it. Right. And if you can create product line that serves as a, a journey, for your customers, mm -hmm. it's easier for them, it's easier for you, and you're going to make more money. That's interesting because, you know, you and I sell kind of digital products and courses and these kinds of things, but I could even apply this to, say, somebody who runs a dog kennel. You know, they, they know everything about dogs, but remember when you first had your puppy and remember potty training and remember this and remember having this life in your hands, you know, those kinds of things. Even for yeah. somebody who sells something like that to go all the way back and remember the journey of what this looked like. I love it. And then I'm a huge proponent. We teach our people all the time that the key to doubling your business is probably through existing customers. And we have so many clients who have revenue streams that are diverse and very few of existing customers are actually buying their other revenue streams. A story I'd love to share with you is one of our clients who sells also a digital product teaching entrepreneurs how to edit and produce their own videos, like really high quality stuff. Right. You know, the, the top of the line cameras, top of the line lights, and um, it's a pretty expensive academy. And what we did in working with her was asked her to go back to that stage when you were a brand new entrepreneur and spending $1,000 on a camera was out of the question. Hmm. And, you know, you, you were thinking Home Depot lights and you, know, you just really needed to know how you could make your videos look better with what you had, yeah. which was really hard for her to do because she's past that point. But that's the thing I encourage everyone who's listening to do is go back, go back, go back in your mind before you knew all of the things that you know today, hmm. way back. 
Because if you can start taking care of people at that stage, you've got them for the life of their business because you'll always be just a couple of steps ahead of them. So she created an academy called the iPhone Film School and taught <laughs> entrepreneurs how to use their iPhone and make it look like you know high quality DSLR oh, awesome. yeah. camera footage. Oh, that's fantastic. How do you identify your existing customers and what are some of the messages and tools that you use to reach out to them? I, I'm looking for tangible examples. People listening probably go, well, we've got 5,000 customers who are pretty passionate. I just don't know what to say mm-hmm. to them anymore because they already bought my product. What are some ideas for that person? That, that leads me to my number three tip, which is you Great. have to let your customers tell you what they want. We know what they need, right? And, and so we always want to give them what they need, but they don't always want that. So right. we have to listen really closely to what they want. Now, let me give you specifics. Specifically, if I want to figure out what it is my clients want, not necessarily what they need. I know what they need. Because, you know, we're here to take care of them. We know what they need. It's like our children. Right. We know what they need. It's not always what they want. I will go to Facebook and I'll actually go on Facebook Live and I will create a mini live focus group asking them questions and letting me see what words, what verbiage they use. Here's an example. I was thinking of, this is about two years ago, creating a new course, basically teaching people how to sell on camera. You know, having done five infomercials and sold on QVC, I... I've got a formula that really works. So I went live on Facebook and asked people, what would be of greater interest to you? Learning how to sell on camera, understanding how to better help people, getting people to take action, or learning how to serve and not have to sell. And it was just all the same thing. Every single one of those things I just said are all the same thing. But the response was overwhelming that people wanted to learn how to serve and not have to sell. And that was really helpful to me because then I realized, okay, number one, even in the way I market these materials, I can't tell people I'm going to teach them how to sell because my audience doesn't want to sell. They want to serve right. people. Got it. That's awesome. I could just add one more to number three because I want to give people other ways they can themselves with their existing customers find out what they want next especially if you have digital products, go into the comments and read where people are struggling, what words they use, um, what kind of feedback they're giving you. You know, sometimes we get frustrated with our customers because we're like, how do they not know this? Isn't this common sense? And whenever that thought pops into your head, you should say to yourself, oh, here's an earlier product or program I need to offer. This person wasn't ready for this. Right. It's my bad. I should have prepared them by creating... Uh, kind of an introductory or an earlier program, uh, kind of a step one, like you said, with the person who owns a dog kennel. You, you start you start taking care of that person when they own their puppy. Yeah. Then you're a trusted authority. Yeah. First of all, we've got to know what we want our business to look like. In other words, we've got to understand what we don't want our business to feel like as way of pumping Correct. the brakes. Yeah. So that's number one. Even before we get started, what do you want this thing? How do you want it to serve you? Right. Right. And two, we want to scale our business with existing customers, with fans first, because it's a lot cheaper, I would imagine. Is that right? That's right. We've already established trust, so we want to sell different products and serve them in different ways. Three, we want to let our customers tell us what they want. So in creating new products, going back and remembering the journey and helping them start out on the journey, piecing together products that really help them along the entire journey that they're on. That's one, two, and three. Those are really strong. All right, Shalene, what's four? Number four is to never create something in a test tube. 
And that is to say, allow your existing customers to co-create your next product or your next offering. So in the past, myself having spent 25 years as an entrepreneur, I mean, put myself through college selling used cars. I had a used car lot in the state of Michigan called the All Michigan Auto Swap Meet. And then we didn't have social media. We didn't have Twitter. We didn't have Facebook. You had to come up with a brilliant idea, put it on paper and have the gumption, the confidence, and the belief that it would work. Now, you don't have to do that and you shouldn't do that because that's going to cost you money. One of the best ways to make more money in your business is to stop wasting money. So when I say don't make things in a test tube, don't hide the fact that you've got this idea from your customers and then Mm -hmm. work on it for six months and Mm -hmm. then launch it with a name that you haven't tested with content or ideas that you haven't allowed your customers to give you feedback on and a price that you're guessing at. Instead, I create, you know, I tap back into my experience doing infomercials and, you know, we always have a focus group. You can't afford to spend millions of dollars in advertising each weekend on something that you haven't tested with your target audience. So when I create programs now, what I'll do is I have an idea, come up with a couple of general names. I don't hold on to a name. And I tell them what my hopes are for this academy, if it's a digital product, let's say, or maybe it's a physical business. It's your idea for a, let's say, a nail salon. And you go to your existing customers and you say, Here, here's what I'm thinking would be unique and really help people. What are your thoughts? And they're going to tell you what they want. And they're going to tell you what it should be named. And most often, they're also going to tell you how it should be priced. And then they become evangelists because they feel as though they've co-created it with you. That's awesome. I'm making a little note to apply this one. All right, number five, what's the fifth thing that we need to remember in scaling up our business? The fifth thing is to remember that you are your customer. I mean, typically, and there are exceptions, let's face it, but most of us are serving people who are very much like us. Mm. So just remember that you are part of that group. You're not the dictator. You're not the person who's supposed to be the be-all, end-all expert. I like to think of myself as a person who's willing to go out front with a flashlight and you know trip on a few things because I've got a group of people right behind me. And I can jump up after falling and think, hey, look out. There's a boulder yeah. over here. Right. But I'm on this expedition with them. And as long as you can remember that you are your customer, if you can just think back, okay, what, what did I just figure out? Because whatever I just figured out is what I then need to help my customer learn. And you've got to start them at the beginning. Yeah, I too often will meet entrepreneurs who are trying to market the knowledge that they have today, as opposed to going, but what does somebody need if they're not there yet? Hmm. Because that's a much bigger audience, and that's an audience that I like to say will grow up with you. Yeah. I love the visual of just hiking through the forest with a flashlight, getting people through the next steps. It's more believable, too. You know, because people, I think people, we fear being calling ourselves the expert because we're like, oh, man, there's somebody out there who I learned this from. I mean, there's nothing that's ours, right? Like, everything you and I can share with our audience are things that we've learned from others and have you know, we have mentors and podcasts and books that we've read and we've kind of made them our own. So it sometimes gets in our head like, I shouldn't do this because I'm not the person who invented this or I'm not the expert or so-and-so knows more than me or so-and-so is the authority. And I always remind people to remember, you don't have to be the expert. You have to be an expert at the way it's worked for you and willing to share that. 
Yeah, and just have enough valuable information that somebody else doesn't have that is going to solve a problem for them. It may not make you an expert, but it makes you valuable. It makes what you have valuable because you have a solution to a problem. And sometimes some people listening, they do have a solution to the problem, but they haven't been affirmed in that yet quite enough to believe Mm. it. And so testing the waters, getting out, solving some people's problems, getting that feedback, saying, boy, that was really valuable. That may be the next step in getting your business going. Yeah, and you can do those focus groups like I spoke of on Facebook. Just do a private Facebook group. You know, people love to be in. It's like, this is kind of, I want to put together this group of people whose opinions I trust and help me to make the best decisions. And just do a private Facebook group. It's crazy how people love to share their opinions. Yeah. Well, listen, Shalene, I've got sort of a weird question for you. These are fantastic. I'm so grateful for your expertise and your time. I'm curious, and I know nobody's life is perfect. Everybody has their own stuff. But you've made some strategic decisions to enjoy business and enjoy life. I'm curious as to what mm-hmm. that looks like now. I, I ask you the question mm-hmm. because I think we all need a little vision casting here. Where are we heading? How do you do work-life balance and what are some things that you've learned and what does that look like for you now? I think most people would see it as being pretty boring, but it, it makes me happy. <laughs> but it's the one you want. You know, um, we're certainly earning more than we ever could have imagined and doing less than I ever could have imagined. Mm. So for me, what that looks like is spending about three, maybe four hours a day on work with a break every 45 minutes to let my brain relax. It is acknowledging when I'm creative and acknowledging my shortcomings, acknowledging and setting up boundaries because you know, I'm an addict, I'm a work addict and Mm. I'm in recovery and (laughs) I know what my triggers are. I can't go to dinner parties because I'm going to meet someone with a really creative idea and it's going to take me off course. (laughs) And I can't go to, I just can't. And I can't do many networking situations and I have to limit the podcast that I listen to, to only topics that I'm in season. Meaning, you know, you might have a great guest on, um, like for example, you had Nicole Walters on recently talking about sales. Yeah, she was wonderful. Yeah. And if I'm in a season where I need to really be focused on learning, say, um, organization. As much as I want to listen to that podcast, I can't because mm. I set aside, I have to set up really structured boundaries or I'll slip back into that getting caught up on the hamster wheel where I'm, I'm comparing yeah. myself to how well other people are doing it. What about this opportunity, that opportunity? And I just, today, I feel much more calm and content, but it's because I carefully put a fortress around my focus and my family is first and foremost and everything else kind of falls into place. That's so fascinating. It is a common journey of pretty much everybody I know who is very successful and has high impact. They started out usually in their twenties saying yes, yes, yes to opportunity, learning to not be afraid, learning to put themselves out there. Then they achieved a little bit of success and they started saying maybe, maybe, maybe as they had to pick between good and bad opportunities. And then when they got Mm -hmm. successful, they had to learn to say no, 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 no (laughs) in order to keep being successful. It's just a common journey. And there's seasons for yes, seasons for maybe, and seasons for no. I have an opinion. I'm curious what yours is. Yeah. Uh, Because many people have said to me, especially 20 and 30-somethings, well, I'm just on that journey because everyone I've heard from has to go through this. So don't I just have to go through this? Do you believe that there is a better way to learn to be successful than hustle, grind, burn yourself up, and then learn to say maybe? Do you believe that everyone has to go through that? No, it's not the advice that I give to people is to actually say yes to everything unless they tell me one thing. If they say, Don, I don't know what I want to do. 
And then mm, I say, okay. I want you to date around. And you know what I mean? Like yeah. just date yeah, different yeah. ambitions, take different jobs, visit different countries. But to me, it really is important that you do figure it out. I think it's dangerous to live life not knowing what you want to do. Because that's like living mm -hmm. a story in which we don't know what the hero is trying to accomplish. That story is going to get very boring and mundane. And yeah. sometimes people just aren't wired to figure out what they want to do. But they are wired to join a team or a community that knows what they want to do. And so for me, mm -hmm. it is finding that focus is what I meant when I said, say yes until you figure it out. And for me, it shifted. It was early on. I wanted to be a writer. I mean, I really wanted to be a writer. And I got my chops writing books. I achieved a great deal of success. Part of that success was I ran a publishing company before I became a writer. And that fizzled. I mean, I focused on it and did it for a long time. And the passion became from me wanting to tell my own story to me wanting to get other people's stories out there. And story brand came from mm -hmm. that. But my passion today, and it's more passionate than it ever was, writing books, is helping people clarify their message and get their story out. Hmm. So the focus changed. But you're absolutely right. The more that I say no, and the more that I spend quality-focused time toward a purpose, the better I do every year. I'm a huge proponent of that. So, you know, I agree with you. I would push back even with what I said earlier about saying yes to everything. I would qualify that for people who don't quite know what they want to do yet. If you have figured okay. it out, say no to everything else. <laughs> Just say no. Uh, right. And absolutely focus. But they, I think, you you know, to build on that, you you do kind of have to figure out what it is you want so you know what to say no to. Yeah, absolutely. Shailene, now that we're just having this conversation, let me ask you this. Was there a season where you had to, I'm saying this because these seasons happened to me, where you had mm -hmm. to consciously stop chasing $500 and start chasing 5000 and then consciously stop chasing 5000 in order to chase 50000 and then consciously stop chasing 50000 in order to chase 500000 You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I remember, yeah, yeah. and even I had people on staff who were people in close working relationships. They weren't on staff, but people who I worked with who were so used to chasing 5000 that I actually had to shift staffs, like change the people around mm. me so that we no longer yeah. had that mentality because they really couldn't go there with me. And it was a really scary moment to say, we're no longer going to chase that. We're going to actually chase this, which is much harder, and we're yeah. going to get fewer of it, but our life's going to be. Did you experience that kind of season too, those kind of seasons and transitions too? I love this question because I've never been asked it before. My honest answer would say, I don't picture them as seasons, but maybe they were. I can remember three questions. Like one was when I was offering my fitness program locally. Mm -hmm. And my dad said to me, and this was, you know, I don't know, 15 years ago, said to me, well, that's really nice locally, but what if you could get it in the hands of like hundreds of thousands of people? And it was just a question. Yeah. And until I'd been asked that question, I thought, I've got to redefine, like, there's a bigger success that's available. Right. And then, so each time I've shifted and moved into, you know, a different bracket or added a zero to the end of my earnings, it's because someone asked a question. Mm -hmm. Have you ever thought of, or why don't you consider? So it, I think it's important that all of us kind of be open to that. But I do believe, as you've just said, there are those people who have created their own ceiling and they just don't give themselves permission to dream big. Yeah. And, I, you know, I'm a big dreamer. I dream big. But I remember a conversation a few months ago with Jeff Walker. I was out in Colorado, out in Durango, visiting Jeff. And I said, well, we probably can't do that because of X. And he just looked at me. He said, oh, that's a limiting belief. And as soon as he mm -hmm. said it, I knew it. 
Yeah. I knew it. That I, I only yeah. thought that yeah. was true, and I never tested. It. I didn't know if it was true. He said, that's a limiting belief, yeah. and as soon as he said it, it went away. And maybe that's one of the big takeaways because you've given us a ton, Shalene, on this podcast. <laughs> is hey, you might have some limiting beliefs uh, out there that we need to break through. Shalene, this is a terrific yeah. interview. I think you and I could probably go for another few hours, but I'm <laughs> very grateful. I know that you are extremely busy, and your time is precious, and you know how valuable it is, and the fact that you would give it to. Me and our listeners just means a lot to me. All right. Well, thank you so much. Again, if you want to know more about everything Shalene is up to, it's pronounced Shalene, but it's spelled like Shalene, C-H-A-L-E-N-E, Johnson.com. She has a lot of tools and obviously a lot of wisdom that will be able to help you out. We'd love for you to check out her stuff. Shalene, once again, thank you so, so much. That was a blast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I know you listen to a podcast like this. You listen to these great interviews about scaling up your company, and you're kind of going, how do I apply this? So we've created a tool to help you apply everything that you just heard. If you go to buildingastorybrand.com slash worksheet, that's buildingastorybrand.com slash worksheet, you can download a worksheet for almost every episode, including this one. It's going to give you some tips, some strategies, some food for thought to execute on what you heard in this interview. It's only when we execute that we actually see the benefits. So we're giving you a tool to help you do that. Buildingastorybrand.com slash worksheet. I want to tell you a little bit about next week's interview. It's with Lee Lefevre. Lee is the author of a book called The Art of Explanation, and he's going to help you clarify your message. He's excellent at helping you take something complicated and explain it simply so customers can understand. Here's an excerpt from next week's interview with Lee Lefevre. You know, we get so focused on our products and so focused on our branding and our messaging that I think that explanation is one of those things that we don't always take a step back and, and ask a different kind of question. And that question is not, is this going to sell it? Or, you know, is this my perfect brand message? I think the question that we often forget to ask is, is this understandable? Well, that wraps up another terrific episode of the Building a Story Brand podcast. JJ, I learned a lot. Yeah. And I really want to kind of put together a vision, not a vision board, but like a vision for here's what I want the year to look like. And it's going to have to involve some sort of quality of life metric beyond just work. Yeah. Shaleem was fantastic. So if there's one thing that you leave this podcast with, it's take care of yourself. Think about what you want life to look like. We get to write our own stories. I've been saying that for years. And if we are working ourselves to death so that we can live that story tomorrow and not incorporating some of that story today, I think we're going to pay for it in the long run. You can scale your business, but also have a good life. You can also have a good life and your children can know your name. Yes. (laughs) This is the year where your Your children children know your name. name. Well, music. in the cradle of silver spoon. (laughs) Little boy blue and the man and the moon. (laughs) Well, music from this episode is not from Harry Chapin. It's actually from Andrew Bell. And you can listen to Andrew's music on Spotify or iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. Music.